Welcome to the February 27th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20, and the sermon is entitled, The Persecuted Church, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. As we come together today, we are continuing on. If you're joining us for the first time, we are walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians in your Bible, if you have your Bible with you, there is a pew Bible here or your electronic uh, instrument, whichever you got, you dial up. Turn to 1 Thessalonians with me. We are in chapter 2 today. In fact, we're going to close chapter 2 today. Uh, as you get uh, turned to your Bible, Tommy Thacker, good singing this morning. That was beautiful. Thank you, brother. Uh, what a great time. We, there you go. Let him know. God bless you, brother. <clears throat> As we gather together today, we know that the Lord God has a message for us. And I will tell you, as I open this particular passage of Scripture, uh, I usually run six to seven sermons ahead. So about seven weeks ago, I was working initially on this sermon, and I thought, Lord, this is one tough sermon here. And we're going to see how you pull it together that I can get through it. But today, I see why it's placed where it is in God's timing, in God's church, God's Word speaking to God's people. It's amazing how God draws it all together and dovetails the time that we need to hear a message. Amen? Today is a day for that, and so I'm grateful you are here. However you join us, I'm grateful you're here. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at verses 13 through 20 today, closing the chapter out. This is a letter that Paul the missionary wrote to the second church that he and his mission team had established on the continent of Europe. Geographically, I want you to be reminded that the bulk of Paul's ministry and the bulk of his travels and his mission team's travels took place on the continent of Asia. Uh, that was the homeland of this mission team, the home of Jerusalem and Ephesus and Colossae and the land of Galatia. You cannot underestimate how important what is happening here. God brought this mission team to a, a halt, to a stop. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. But as God pulled the reins on Paul and his mission team, he said, there's somewhere else I want you to go. There's another part of the world that I want you to take the gospel. And so as we open the letter of 1 Thessalonians, we understand that God continues to spread the gospel around the world by taking this mission team off of Asia into Europe. So sailing across a hundred-mile journey, sailing across the Aegean Sea, getting to uh, the continent of Europe, and we see here that the gospel is beginning a spread around the world. It continues today, amen? And praise God for that little camera that's up there on the wall because that assists us in taking the gospel around the world. Praise God that the media has gotten to the point that we can speak to other countries and to other Christians and to give the gospel to other people in other lands. But as we open the letter of 1 Thessalonians, at this point in time, Paul had established two churches on the continent of Europe. When they first sailed to the continent, he got off the boat at Philippi and established a church there. If you remember, a prayer meeting, a group of women meeting at the water, and uh, he brings Lydia to Christ, her household to Christ, and a church is begun in Philippi. He plants that church with a variety of Christians who come to the Lord in Philippi. However, the mission team is persecuted, and they are run out of Philippi. 
under great persecution, they're not allowed to stay there in that city. Well, rather than give up, rather than say, well, we're hurting here, and this is hard here, let's go back to our home territory, not Paul and his team. But rather they mush on, they travel on another hundred miles westward to the next large city, and that is the city of Thessalonica. So Paul sees the need for Christ in Thessalonica. He begins preaching. He even goes to the synagogue of the Jews preaching Christ in Thessalonica and a great variety of people, a number of Jews and a number of Gentiles, completely different kinds of people, different shades of skin, different background, different religious backgrounds. But Jews and Gentiles alike are saved. Leading women of the city are saved. And so Paul takes that conglomeration of different people with the same Jesus living in their hearts and establishes a church in Thessalonica. Now, the amazing thing is God took a different kind of people from all walks of life living in their hearts and brought them together as a church. It still happens today. That's exactly the definition of Clifford Baptist Church. God taking people from all walks of life, different shades of skin, and yet he brings us together because Jesus lives in our hearts. Amen? That's what brings the church together. Not exactly who we are or how friendly we are, but rather the Holy Spirit of God living in our hearts brings us as brothers and sisters together as a church and brings us together to share and pool our talents as a ministry together to take the gospel to the world. So as we see that church of Thessalonica founded, the same pattern takes place. The mission team comes under persecution and punishment, and they're not allowed to stay in the city of Thessalonica. They have to run from the city because they face the persecution there. So they left behind this little nucleus of a church, but they were baby Christians, young Christians, some of them having heard the name of Jesus for the first time before their salvation. But Paul and his mission team have to leave and leave this little church, a baby church, in this hard city of Thessalonica. This was not an easy place for the church to be. The, the city was hard. The city was godless. The city was idolatrous. And yet Paul left behind this little baby church there. But this baby church rose up to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. They rose up to become mature day by day, giving the good news of Jesus in that very hard, difficult city. And yet, as they every day faced persecution in their city, they developed this mindset of we need to serve Jesus and we need to witness for Jesus. But in the midst of the persecution, how is God and when is God going to give us some relief here? As you read on in 1 Thessalonians, you will see how God gives relief. When Jesus returns to come to get us, we see that in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to get there in a sermon or two. But these young believers are saying, when are we going to get some relief from this very difficult, hard situation? And Paul strives to tell them, church, hold on. Church, keep going forward. Church, don't give up. Church, don't be beaten down. Don't you dare give up in walking into your city with the good news of Jesus Christ. You face the persecution. You face the punishment. But you stand for Jesus. Stand in courage for him. So with that background, as Paul is using these little letters of First and Second Thessalonians to teach the church, this is his teaching tool because he can't be there personally. 
But as he uses these letters, he is teaching this church to grow up. He's teaching them how to serve in a hard place. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 13 through 20 today. So hear these words. They apply to this church 2,000 years ago, but they apply to our church and in this world today. So hear these words. Begin with verse 13, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of his word. Back up to the first verse we read, verse 13. Listen to it one more time. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And what he's saying is, my mission team can't be there with you, church. As much as we would love to be, while we can't be there because of persecution, because the road is blocked for us to come, we want you to know that we pray for you and we think about you and we lift you up, little church in Thessalonica, every single day. My mission team loves you. We want to be there for you, but we want you to know our support is behind you. When we came to Thessalonica preaching the good news of Jesus, you didn't see us as actors with some fake message. You didn't see us as some pretenders who just wanted to come to get your money, to get some fancy offering and become rich off of you but rather you saw us as the true servants of God and you believed what we taught you as the truth of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he went to a cross, that he died there, that he shed his blood so that you might be forgiven and saved as you repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ. Not only did he die, but he has risen again that you might have life everlasting. You believed that message. You heard the truth. And it eternally changed your life, church, in Thessalonica. But I want to remind you, church, of today, whether you're here at Clifford Baptist Church or you're watching us on stream, the same truth still applies to us. You cannot receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and not be changed. 
you will be changed. Your life will take a U-turn. You will want to follow him and not your own selfish desires or your own selfish choosing of a path. You will want to follow Jesus because when you know him as Lord and Savior, he changes you and me. That we want to follow his will and not our own. Paul said that is exactly what this little church is doing. But here's Paul's sad news. These new Christians were saved within a wicked, godless city, and the city turned against them. The city would not recognize, would not receive the Christians of this little church. In Thessalonica, I hated the church, and life was very hard for these brand-new believers, baby Christians in a very difficult environment. Life was hard for them, and Paul acknowledges that here. Look what he says in verses 14 and 15, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also, now notice he's talking about them now, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. Here's what the great missionary is telling these young believers in this hard city of Thessalonica. He says, church, I know you're under persecution, and I know you're under trial, and I know the city of Thessalonica hates your presence there because so many of the city leaders and so many of the religious leaders of the Jews residing there hate the Lord Jesus Christ. So they don't want your church there. They don't want to recognize your ministry there. But Paul says, understand this. You're not the only church facing persecution. You're not alone in that. I think back to my own homeland, the homeland of Judea. And as I think about my own place of where I grew up and where I came to Christ, where our mission team came from, persecution is a way of life there too. Yes, it's hard over here in Europe. It's hard in Thessalonica. But where I came from in Judea, there's hardness there as well. It's worldwide. Hardness against the Lord and against the church is present among us. He said Judea is the homeland of the prophets of God, the word of God coming through them. And Jewish leaders rose up and killed the prophets. But not only that, the very Son of God, Jesus the Christ, was born there, lived his life there, and leaders rose up and crucified him. Persecution is real where I come from too. Yes, it's hard for you, but it's been hard for us as well. The church back in Asia, our home territory, faces the heat of persecution just as you do here in Europe. It's worldwide. What I want you to understand is Paul is consoling these Christians. He's letting them know that they're not alone in the trials. Don't give up, he says. Don't quit. Yes, it's hard, but it's hard everywhere in this world. You know, it helps when you know you're not alone, doesn't it? I remember growing up in a home. My dad and my mom grew up in the Depression. And I remember my dad saying so many times, we were so poor in my family, we didn't know where the next dime was going to come from. My dad worked hard, but we lived what he called from hand to mouth. You get a dime, you spend the dime. They would scrape through with a little garden. They would raise a hog, and they would feed the family. But dad said, we were so very poor. But everybody around us in those days were poor. So we didn't know how poor we were. 
because everybody was in the same boat. And that's what Paul is saying here. I want you to understand, church at Thessalonica, there are others who are in your boat of persecution, those who are facing a hard world. It's everywhere. It's in Judea as well as it's in Thessalonica here. In fact, look at verse 15, the end of verse 15 and 16. He says, talking about the leaders in Judea, they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Now listen to this phrasing. To fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Paul says these Jewish leaders who hate the church and hate Christians and hate the mission team, they have forbidden us to preach salvation to the Gentiles. They have put a roadblock in front of us that we cannot preach salvation to those who are lost and dying and going to hell. We have been forbidden to preach the good news to the lost. How sad that is that we can't preach to those who are going to hell. But these leaders, Paul says, are not pleasing to God whatsoever. Here's the picture Paul paints in verse 16. He says, the enemies of Christ are sinning over and over again, denying access to the unsaved world so that they might know Jesus as Savior. But with every sin, they're filling up a container, a bucket, if you will. They're filling up a bucket with their sins, sin after sin after sin, denying Jesus to the world. And that bucket is filling as their sin mounts against God Almighty. And every strike against Jesus and every strike against His church adds to the bucket of sin. And God is just patiently, patiently waiting until that bucket is full. But with the bucket of sin filling, His righteousness is multiplying. And He is going to pull out His full wrath and He's going to pour it out upon everyone who has denied Jesus to anyone. He's going to pour out his wrath upon those who put roadblocks up to the mission team. So here's the truth. What Paul is saying here is no enemy of God and no critic of the church will escape judgment. That's what Paul is saying here. God is taking note. Don't you think that the things of the world that are happening right now are not noticed not taken into account by our holy, righteous, mighty God. God Almighty, according to Paul here, is going to even the score one day. He's going to make all things right. He is a God of love, but He is also a God of justice. Now, I want you to all to understand this. I believe that the American church has taken a wrong turn. And I'm not trying to throw rocks at the American church, but I believe that we need to be very careful. So often... The church wants to preach all about the love of God, and that is certainly his character. God is love by definition of the Bible. But also, God is just. God is righteous. God is not the grandpa who's going to pat you on the back and forget all your sin. He has given us the ability to be forgiven through his son. He is the way and the truth and the life. Yes, we will experience the love of God, but it comes through the righteousness of his son, Jesus, who died for us. And so, Paul says, God, as a righteous God, will indeed make all things right one day. You don't have to turn with me here, but just write this reference down. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, says this. God speaking to me 
belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. God says throughout his word, I will even the score one day. Church, don't you think you're on the losing side? Even though you go through hardship, persecution, and punishment, I will even the score. Stay strong, church. March on, church. Keep ministering the word of Jesus Christ because God is going to deal with the injustices of the world in his time. Now, even in these modern days, those who criticize the people of God, those who would rather sit back and throw rocks at the church rather than loving it, those in the world who hate us, those who kill Christians in this world this day, Scripture says, just give God his time because he will even the score. Be patient, church. Be long-suffering because God is waiting for the bucket to get full. But his wrath is coming, and he will make it right. Leave vengeance unto him, but church, you keep marching forward. You keep ministering in his name. Let's finish here. 1 Thessalonians 2, look at verses 17 through 20. One more time. So he takes a turn. He goes back talking to his church, and he says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. The old missionary says, brothers and sisters, those of you who are in that little church in Thessalonica, I'm sorry we can't be with you right now. We're not bodily present, but you're not forgotten. Our hearts are with you. Our bodies can't be there, but our hearts are with you. We love you. We pray for you. We remember you every single day. We daily desire to come to you and to see you face to face. And as Paul's writing this, he says, I have longed to come back to you over and over again. But in verse 18, Paul says, Satan has hindered us. Satan has hindered us from coming to see you. Hindered is an interesting word. The Greek word is inkopto, and it's a military term. When an army did, want, did not want an enemy army to take their roadway of invasion, they would cut up or they would break up the roadway so the invading army could not travel it. They might drag huge obstacles out into the road where the army would have to take time to move them before they could progress on, but they would hinder the invading army so they couldn't come. Paul says Satan hindered our way by putting the roadblock of hatred in the roadway to you. Persecution in the roadway to you. The, de the devil has dragged obstacles of hatred into the roadway that we're not allowed to come back into the city of Thessalonica. But Paul sends this little church of new believers a great, great encouragement. He says to them, my mission team, church, rejoices in you. When we think about you, we think of you with thanksgiving, with rejoicing for the kind of people you are in a very difficult place. Your life of a church, as a church is a joy to us. You're the crown of our reward. And Paul says God has crowned our labor and our traveling and our bearing persecution as a mission team through your faith and your ministry, church. You've been a blessing to us 
We can't come into your city, but you've blessed us over and over again. And in verse 20, Paul says, Never forget, little church in Thessalonica, that you are our glory and our joy. The word for glory means we boast in you. We're proud of you. When we have an opportunity, we brag on your ministry. You are you're our pride. You're our joy. We glory in your ministry. Friends, these are words of truth. And I want you to understand today that the church needs to hear these words. These words never die. They never get old. So the message was for the church at Thessalonica, but the message is 2,000 years later for our church, for this day, for this age. Through every age, the church is charged to stand on the truth of this word. But you remember Jesus said, the world has hated me, and if you stand for me, the world is going to hate you too. Do you remember? The world has hated me, and therefore, if you stand for me, there are going to be places where you're hated as well. The message is going to be hated as well. We follow Jesus as our Savior and our head and as our Lord, even when the way is hard. We never strive to look like the old lost world. Again, we have to be very careful. The church has never been called to affirm immoral lifestyles so we can increase our membership. The church has never been called to preach all love and no righteousness. The church has never been called to beg people to become part-time in their commitment with Jesus. It's all or nothing. It's stand to the death if you need to. But coming to Christ is total surrender, and that's what Paul is teaching this little church in Thessalonica. You give him everything you have, even standing to the death. But just remember, if you die for Christ, he'll, God is going to even the score one day. You're not dying in vain. You stand for Christ, no matter what the situation might bring. We all are to follow Christ with that unconditional surrender, and we're to lay down our life before him. We stand up for Christ, even when it's difficult in this world. You know, we're change agents in the world. The Lord called us the salt of the earth. When you put salt in food, it changes the taste and the texture of that food. When you put the salt of the church and the salt of the love of God in the world, it will change the world. We're not to look like the world. We're to change the world because of Jesus living in us. So the call to Christ is unconditional surrender, and the true church will preach the Savior who permanently changes lives and changes eternity when we come to him in faith. But we also realize that the Bible is not always welcome. The Bible is not always received with open arms. Amazingly, there are places like the public schools that will not freely pass out a Bible. Satan is still putting up roadblocks to his word. He's still putting up roadblocks to the preaching of his word. You know, I, I believe more and more, I believe over 40 years of ministry here, I believe that the day is coming fairly quickly when the true word of God is going to be censured and limited by our country. It's already happening in Canada. There are some things you cannot preach or you risk prison for that, even though it is the truth of God. I believe that is going to happen in our culture that if you preach that homosexuality is wrong, you could risk going to prison. 
If you preach that marriage between someone other than a man and a woman under the will of God, if you preach that, you could risk going to prison. I believe it's coming. Our world is not going to welcome the Word of God. In fact, I believe it's going to get worse. And in fact, you know today, here's the timely message here. We need to stand up and pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia. We need to lift them before the throne of God. Countries under persecution. The church having to live under the radar, living underground because of persecution. So we, church, need to stand up. What Paul is saying to this little church is, church, you continue to stand up because we want you to know there are other churches behind you standing up. You're not in the boat alone. We are in this together. And God is going to bless us. God is going to use us. And one of these days, God is going to even all the score. You just keep marching forward as the church. Those are still our marching orders, church, that we're to go into the world with the love of Jesus Christ. You know, the world does not want to hear that if you follow Jesus, then you're going to leave, leave all shreds of immorality behind. The world doesn't want to hear that. The world doesn't want to hear that if you follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you're going to leave all unrighteous living behind. You're going to throw that party life out of the window. The world doesn't want to hear necessarily that we're going to honor the marriage of a man and a woman alone because that's the Word of God. The world does not want to hear that we're going to protect babies in the womb and their lives there. The world doesn't want to hear that. But we need to stand for that, church, because it is the Word of God. Life is precious to Him. So, in other words, what Paul is telling this church and what I'm saying through this word to this church today is that when we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, our life will change up our language will clean up, and our witness will stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But remember, Satan wants to put up the roadblocks. He wants to hinder us. We continue to stand up. But church, here's the simple question. Paul leads it to Thessalonica. I'm leading it to us today. Will we continue to go forward in Jesus Christ? Will we stand up or will we compromise? Will we hide our faith or will we stand up with it in courage, even when it's hard? Even when it's hard in your workplace, will you stand up for it? Even when it's hard in your classroom, will you stand up for it? Even when it's hard out in the world with your circle of friends, will you stand up for Jesus? That's the question that guides us today. Will we keep on keeping on? Will we strive to be the glory and the joy to our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, our message cannot change. When we are founded on this Word of God, our message cannot be adapted to the culture. Our message is to change the culture because it is indeed the unchanging Word of God. Heaven and hell are still very real, and we need to preach that. Jesus is still the only way to life. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no man, no woman, boy or girl, will come to God the Father but by Him. We stand on that, and we stand firm and strong and true on that. He alone paid the highest price of dying on the cross to offer every person of every nation and every color and every social standing forgiveness and life and hope and joy and an eternal home. Today, church, 
The message to us is we keep on keeping on even when it's hard. And one of the reasons that we do that, according to what Paul says here, is when we're strong here, we are strengthening other churches in other parts of the world who need us. It's important that we stand up, that we be strong. But today, if today you're here or you're listening by stream, and if you're in another country of the world or you're right here on our doorstep, if you need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He wants and He desires to be on the throne of your life and the throne of your heart. God Almighty, move the mountain of sin through the old rugged cross to forgive us. He Himself... God Almighty mounted on the cross, shedding His blood, dying for us that you and I individually might come to Him as our Savior. He saves us one at a time. You know, He tells us in Matthew that the the gate is narrow and straight. It's because it's one at a time. I'm so glad my little grandson is here, but he can't come to Christ through me. It will be his decision one day. And so it is for each one of us. It is your personal decision to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Won't you lay down your sin and lay down your guilt and say, Lord, I am sorry. I repent for what I've done against you, and I need Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Come to him. But I do want to assure you today, you cannot come to him part-time. You cannot come to him partially. You cannot come to him on Sunday and live Monday through Saturday in your own selfish lifestyle. When you come to him, you come to him in full surrender. That's his guidance for each one of us. Surrender today. If you've never come to him, say yes. Lay down your sin. Lay down the guilt. Lay down the lost life. Lay down the immorality. Lay down that lifestyle that needs to go because it's not righteous and say, Lord, I need you. And I want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Surrender today. No one has waited for you like he has. This is the day and this is the moment. Church, we keep going forward courageously in the love and salvation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, Thank you for these precious moments, Lord. This has been a very challenging message as I've worked hours seeking your guidance in it. But Father, I thank you today. Father, if there's someone listening to us who's a part of a persecuted church, a church that's living underground, a church that can't freely meet, Father, today we pray for those Christians. We pray for your strength and your guidance and your courage upon those churches. We pray that they will continue in their place of service. If it be in Ukraine, if it be in Russia, if it be in some foreign country where the church is just not accepted, Lord, we pray your strength and your guidance and your protection on those bodies of Christ out in the world. But also, Lord, today we pray for your strength and your protection and your courage and your strength upon Clifford Baptist Church and every church listening today that we will stand for Jesus Christ, the one alone who can give life in eternity. Bless us, we pray. Bless that one who needs Jesus as Savior. Bless every believer, Lord, that today we rededicate our life to that stand of courage for you. That one who has a need or a church home, Father, bless them today. You can meet them here and bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.